0: Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast.
1: So Smushy, I really wanted to talk to you about something because I noticed a pattern of something that was happening to me this last week that reminded me of something that we had talked about a month ago. (laughs) What what is that? (laughs) It's this thing where in my family life with my mom and in my workplace and with a friend, it all the same kind of dynamic happened where I feel like I'm responsible for taking care of those people in a way that's not, I don't think is my responsibility, but for some reason I feel like it's my responsibility too. Mm. Um, Not the other way around. Like I'm, I'm, I have to take care of everyone. And I think it's lore because oftentimes in those situations, I'm like, well, but who's going to take care of me? And I also I don't want to be responsible for them in those ways. It doesn't feel like something that I want to do. I don't want to be responsible for people like at work, for example, I'm responsible for everything creative. That's, I mean, I'm responsible for the company as well, but if somebody is in a creative position, if I've hired somebody to do something creatively, I want to be in charge of everything Mm -hmm. creative, but I don't wanna be in charge of anything else.
0: How do you know it's lore, you know, mythology? That's the term I, I love the term lore because I feel like it's more um, applicable to life and not about something we read about in books. Because I
1: feel like in some instances, it's holding me back from doing the thing that I really feel like I'm here to do or manifesting Mm. more of my true self. And I feel beholden to this role that I've been put in versus being free to express myself in the ways I want to express myself. So what made you want to talk about this, these incidents? No, I don't want to specifically talk about these incidents, but I, I think I'm just really interested in talking about the beliefs that we carry around about ourselves Mm. that we we've been taught or that we learned or picked up somewhere along the way that aren't true because they manifest in so many different ways. Like I remember you were telling me one time how there was, or, or I actually don't remember whose story this was, but somebody was talking about how when they were young, they were one of like seven kids And their dad was left to take care of them often. And, um, you know, the dad just wasn't a good caretaker. And so when the mom would leave, he'd like get one Subway sandwich and like cut it up between seven kids and give them each like a slice. And um, when this particular kid was like, hey, I'm still hungry her dad looked at her and was like, "Ugh, you're so greedy. Smishy, that was me. <laughs> How did you grow up? You took that and you're like, wait, I don't want to be greedy. And so you grew up feeling like you shouldn't ask for more. It's okay for you to be hungry.
0: Totally, and I think though that what's so interesting about like an example like that, this is what gets me all the time, gets me excited and inspired, but also humbled uh, about when you see this happen with people, you can identify it when you do, you're no longer reactive. Like you're not angry at them. You're not accusing them of something, or you're not trying to analyze them. You're just understanding, oh, there must be some mythology they're operating by. And I'm, I wonder where it comes from. And I wonder if they notice it,
1: you know? It's interesting because as I'm speaking, I'm realizing that what keeps you in that pattern is always a misunderstanding of a virtue, right? So for you, it's like, I don't want to be greedy, Or, Mm. you know, or an understanding of something or like, I have friends that, you know, uh, like traumatic things happened to them when they were a kid and then they tried to talk to their parents about it and their parents Mm. were dismissive of the thing that happened. And so they associated that with, oh, I'm not important enough to be addressed.
0: Oh, sushi. And that's the tip of the iceberg because maybe that's their conclusion or maybe there's some ancestral lore that they have been carrying unconsciously that got passed on from their parents and their parents and their parents about what the rules of life and engagement are for them. That's why it's so important that we ask ourselves, is this truth or this a perception of truth? Because lore is just that. Lore whittles down to perceptions of truth. If we really were taught that reality was single, both scientifically, mathematically, psychologically. You know, humans are humans. We are one. But within that, we have infinite untold splinterings that create core lore, the lore about the core purpose of life. And we need to ask ourselves, though, that question, just what you were sharing, like, for example, no one's there we've talked in the past about mirroring like if you're mirrored then you can find a reflection of yourself somewhere enough to say hey wait a minute why didn't this person feed me or why did this person who's supposed to be my authority create in me a trigger that makes me want to take care of them when i'm the one who's supposed to be looked after in this relationship context But instead, like you're describing your situation about, you know, always feeling like there's an easy trigger of lore that's like, oh, I have to take care of this person. They're not happy. Or this is where it gets really fine-tuned. We have to start asking ourselves, wait a minute, what is it I think I am? Or what is it I think I'm here to do in relationship to this person? Or this situation? And what's my belief about me? And what's my belief about them? That's why it gets into not belief systems, the belief systems get triggered from the lore. I think I just realized <laughs> what mine was,
1: which is I'm so quick to sacrifice. You know, when things were going wrong when I was a kid, I was like, well, nobody else is stepping in. So I guess I will, I can do that. You know, I can do that, but it wasn't my role to do that. I was a kid. I wasn't supposed to be taking care of adults. No, I think I still have that where I have to be so careful not to sacrifice myself because I feel like it's my role. In every situation, I have to be like, because there's always that little melody inside that's like, but I can do that. I can, I can, everything in me just wants to be like, but I can make it better. I can do that. I could step in here. But if I do, it takes me away from doing the thing that I want to do or being free to be me and operating in, in the ways that I know are part
0: of my life purpose or maybe your more evolved placement of purpose today maybe that might have been acceptable at a certain stage in the past maybe it's just no longer acceptable now or in someone else's situation maybe they're even capable of more sacrifice and how you know is how it registers with you You know, this is the thing. We have to start asking, wait a minute, why does every time I say this to this person, why do I feel ill afterwards? Or, you know, if I'm feeling very uncomfortable in someone's presence, why? It may just be because it's my lore. It may have nothing to do with this person at all. Uh, Maybe I think I know something about a person, but in truth, All I'm doing is reading the situation through my lore. And then my belief system won't allow me to ask myself the question. So that's why we have to start creating spaces that are safe enough to unpack these uncomfortable questions so that there's nothing left but reality. Because do you know, Sushi, if we all came from our reality, we absolutely are designed to get along. By design, we have differences, but they're not a problem. They're complementary. I mean, as it varied as you can possibly get with someone. They are your virtual opposite, opposite side of the world, different culture. They don't have your frame of reference. They don't have your language. But if we were both coming from the place of reality, we are made to connect. So it's not our differences that make people not connect. It's our core lore. Wow. That makes so
1: much sense because if, yeah. if it's playing out as something that happened to you when you were a kid, cuz that's usually when this when you adopt these core lore's it, it's like something that happens and then it just plays out for the rest of your life. This is my question. If something is your reality, even if it's your perception of a reality, that's not the reality, how do you step outside of your reality? Like, how do you get a more of a bird's eye view of what's actually
0: happening or what the real reality is versus your perception of it? That's true. And I mean, that's a noodle twister because you only know what you know when you know it. So It was there all along. It's everything like a metaphor for the matrix, you know? Are you really seeing reality or are you just seeing the matrix, you know? And I think that ultimately, we're starting to ask questions. As you know, I dearly love questions. I love questioning. I think they're the way to get to the truth. But even asking the right questions is so difficult. Well, or timely. Because there's questions I hear you ask because you're eager to know, like you see something and it's it's bothering you. And you're like, why is this bothering me? You would have never asked that question, Sushi, 10 years ago. I know you wouldn't have. But look today, how you're not even, not only do you notice it, but you're eager to unpack it and like eliminate it, because you're also confident that when you eliminate uh, the mythology of you, who you are, what you're supposed to be about, you're confident that what lies beneath it is something magnificent, not something less than. Or I think one of the reason people don't ask questions about what is this and why is this happening is out of a loyalty to ancestors. That's not founded on the reality of our ancestors. It's the fear like, oh, they went through this. Well, I'm not going to ask this question because they went through this. Or my mother went through so much. I dare not ask her, Mama, why did you do this? You know, why did you say this to me? Or why didn't you prepare me for that? Or why didn't you ever talk about this? I know I'm not the only one, but, you know, for example, I think that um, it gets so complex about things, for example, like wealth, you know, a very charged subject. Like some people come from not just spiritual backgrounds, but from religious backgrounds that were, had more dogma than spirituality and the dogma taught not be careful that wealth doesn't make you materialistic it taught money is evil money is the root of all evil well wealth is not the root of all evil with wealth we can assist so many people start educational programs pave roads create Healthcare, we can create programs that help people take care of themselves and raise themselves up. That's what wealth does, you know, or find new resources. But what if you have an apoplectic fear from lore that doesn't allow you ever to amass money no matter how hard you work? You work, you work, you work, you get paid, but where does that money go? You know, and what is the lore behind it? You're not allowed to keep it. You're allowed to make it. You're allowed to work hard, but you're not allowed to amass it. And there's all different things you can do with wealth. So I think like, for example, there's so much lore about wealth and power. Deserving wealth. The core lore, what might I be if we asked ourselves What would I be if I had all the wealth I desire? What would I be like? I've certainly, you know, I grew up with extremes of wealth and poverty. I've seen tremendous amounts of wealth. And I also grew up with people who had literally nothing. And I've seen very poor people, economically poor people, who are very wealthy people inside and in their culture and how they deal with life and problem-solving and relationships. And I've seen, as you have too, very, very wealthy people who are the most impoverished people I've ever known. They're malnourished. They have no skills. They have no tools. They have no confidence. They don't know who and what they are in the world. So all that is lore. Isn't that amazing, Swishy? Yeah. For sure. Even like gangs. Could we have gangs? Would they exist if people unpacked what the lore behind it is? You know? All of it. Well, behind gang activity is fear. And the choice to be a part of a gang is the belief there is no other choice. It's that or death. Right. I mean, it's also family
1: for a lot of people. It's a sense of belonging. Yes.
0: But at what point does a person say, what does being in this family cost me? Is this what I am? Did I come here for others' vendettas? I I would take life. In the name of family, that's exactly what we're talking about. Where's the lore? Because, you know, in reality, that's as far away from human design as you can get. No one's here to take another's life. That's in itself a very intense lore. Yeah. Well, it's that thing. I was just actually speaking about this
1: last night about feeling like you're backed into a corner. I think that that feeling is something that we all need to have tools for. Like anytime you feel like you're backed into a corner and you don't have choices, what choices do you make? And where do you tap into to feel like you have more than all or nothing choices? Because when you're in a corner, I know whenever I feel backed into a corner, I'm like, all right, Well, it's either I jump off the ship or I stay and I suffer. It's usually something like that. Like I'm going to jump off the cliff and just leave, burn everything behind. It's like, or I'm going to stay and I'm going to suffer through this and I'm going to live a life of suffering. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it feels like. Yes, But the truth of it is, is that we come from the infinite creator and if we are that, we inhabit that, we embody that, how do we tap into that infinite place where we feel like, no, it's not just these, I don't have just these choices. I have infinite choices. I just need to tap into understanding what they are and where they're going to come from and and how does that look like and
0: how mm-hmm. am I going to find them? Well, yeah, and but... If we understand that first we have to identify what the myth is that we're coming from and how far back does it go? I know, for example, for myself, about uh, that time my dad sliced a sandwich. We hadn't eaten all day and he sliced it just enough for my sisters and I. And I was like, Dad, I'm still hungry. And then he shamed me for it. And not only shame me for it for then but he was like we don't ask for more that was a different message and he didn't just say you can't have more which he could have said we don't have any more I'm so sorry sister but he didn't (laughs) he said other things which you take in as absolute truth so I did And the other thing he had said when I had accompanied him in other times, he was like, we don't need to eat. So I started to embody that. Oh, I don't need to eat. It's not necessary. Oh, I thought my hunger meant it's necessary. He's saying hunger doesn't imply you need it. (laughs) Now, that is something. Here's my responsibility. The belief system i took on as a result of the lore so the lore though got passed on in his family generationally and i don't think that it was his parents my grandparents or just their parents i think it goes way way back from the stories i've heard so i think that how these people survived untenable conditions and abject poverty and hardship, is to actually get into being creative. They were musicians, artists, all of them. And their legacy is, I can create and I don't need, you know? It's so deep. But when I started to ask questions and ask my father these questions, and I told him what how I'd internalized it, I had the special privilege of having these conversations with the very person that, triggered them. He was like, I can't believe I said that to you. You were only four. And I said, yeah, but you were feeling overwhelmed, you know? Like, you were trying to manage a household and figure out what should I do with these girls while mom is on the stage performing? (laughs) She's not coming home tonight, and I've already worked all day. So I think that, you know, he went into what triggered him about taking care of people and not feeling prepared to since he did like he didn't even boil an egg. I think that what he was really doing is imparting to me, it's time to survive. It's time for you to join me. Now, what I love is when we start to unpack all of it, there is nothing left. You don't repeat the process you'll never be tricked again you might be triggered but it won't operate the same way as we're getting closer and closer to a universal truth coming out and sushi you know what you were saying earlier i really love what you were saying that why when you finally unpack it it's not beneficial to your happiness or what you want or what you're here to do but i also think It creates, we need to have an understanding of how important every single life is. One life, no matter where you come from, no matter what you are prepared or not prepared for. How one and every life make a difference here. Maybe it's just to remove that layer of lore. Maybe you just need to remove one layer and you're free to be what you came here to be and change the world in your way. Oh, it's just so heartening. We're not stuck at all. We only perceive we're stuck. You have me
1: speechless.
0: (laughs) Sushi. So what did you do with those situations when you figured it out? I think once you know it's not actually you, then what do you do?
1: Well, then it's much easier to make movement about it or stay, you know, to just be clear about a boundary you need to set now or, but Mm. it's more, it's more tricky in certain situations. It's more tricky than others. Like if it's with somebody from my, like my mom, for example, there's so many layers there that it's Mm. a lot trickier, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, you realize one thing in one way and it's like, you know, I'm just making an example like, okay, she's the mom, I'm the child. It's always going to be that way. That's just nature. The roles are never supposed to reverse, Mm -hmm. ever. So you understand that, but I think that it just alerts me to the fact that maybe in other aspects, there's uh, other lures that I maybe need to get rid of that keep me in a, in a certain place. Oh, absolutely. Well, with parents, it's super tricky because like with kids that are abused, for example, even when, you know, there's an interjection and, and the authorities or whatever may come and take your mom away because you're being abused. You still want your mom. You'll still fight for your mom, no matter what, even though, She's abusing you because it's your
0: mom. Well, and you're still a child at that point. So every child knows they need their parents. And we're hardwired for that knowledge. We're hardwired. We're connected to them organically. We know that's the way we're designed to be. I think, though, that there should be parts of even a child that know this is not the way I'm meant to be treated. That's the difference. But it's so hard when you're hardwired. A hundred percent. But sushi, it's not different than if you're hardwired to anything else. You know, for example, if you're um, hardwired to think whether it has to do with I don't deserve something or I do deserve something, for example, the entitlements that people carry, when you unpack why do I feel I'm entitled to this, and you actually follow that all the way down the rabbit hole and ask, where did I get that? When's the earliest time I had that thought? I'm entitled to this. You simply are ignorant, of course. There's room for knowledge and growth here. You know, it's all right to be born ignorant. We all are. But what's dangerous is when we don't listen to the inner voice in us that's always attuned to truth. That voice should say, wait a minute, I'm not entitled to anything. You know, I, I, I have to, just like everyone else in this world, I can wake up to what I long for, but I'm going to have to strive for it, and I still may not get it. And I may strive and work and sweat and bleed for it my whole life, and I still may not get it because life is not something anyone can control. And really core lore and all the lore we carry is because something triggered people to feel, wait a minute, that's not what I want. (laughs) That's not, I don't want to hear that. So I'm going to change the rules here. I'm going to say I can. The problem with that is you have to live the outcome and consequences. That is where the lore comes from. And even if you, you know, propagate it and spread it, eventually, uh, as my dear friend in, from Zimbabwe, Benjamin Matiti, used to say, the truth is always yearning to be free. And eventually it will be. And I really think... It comes out in the end, and it's so true. You can watch for it, and then you can see it surface. Nothing endures that isn't based on a firm foundation of reality. It can be here for a while, maybe a good long while, not forever. Nothing lasts forever,
1: except reality. Can I read something that you wrote about core lore? Okay. The greater the misuse of power of those who govern and the greater their distorted projections onto those they govern, the more likely our true core is obscured by myths creating false gods. We call these false beliefs or misperceptions. That's a definition of core lore. I just feel like that's so potent because that feels exactly like what we're living in, in this country. It's like the greater the misuse of power of those who govern and the greater their distorted projections onto those they govern, the more likely our true core is obscured by myths creating false gods. What do you think are some of the false gods that we've created in this society?
0: Oh, so many. I mean, in the U.S., we have so many false gods, for example. We do believe that what we own is what we have made of ourselves, a reflection of what we are. We think what we own is also our preservation and safety. We fear anything that could threaten that. We have a lot of false gods about an entitlement, about what we deserve under that umbrella. I think, for example, today we have to be so careful, very careful, for example, with what's going on um, about the pandemic era. There are many things, our focus, number one, till the end, should be about care and concern for ourselves and our fellow humans. And that's it. Stop right there. Have you noticed that it's much more political? People are developing opinions about the way people preserve their health and make choices for themselves at this time, regardless Uh, whether it is what vaccine a person chose to get, whether they chose to get a booster, whether they chose to be vaccinated, whether they chose to wait, whether they chose to move, all these kinds of very, very weighty decisions, all of a sudden it became, there's an American ethos around it. And that's a false god because the nation is based on Investigating the freedom to investigate truth for yourself and do research. And research isn't over until it's conclusive. There should be a concern for people. That is all. I hope those people are making a wise choice for themselves. I hope those people are safe. I hope everyone stays safe. The minute it becomes politicized, you see, nothing could be political without power. Because otherwise it would just evaporate when people would just go, hmm, oh, that's your opinion. That's your perception. So we can't even get to the lore if we don't know how to ask questions and you know, independently explore the difference between truth and perception of it. So I think that's like a concrete example. I mean, we're on dodgy ground today because there's so much fear, of course, whenever you bring life and death into a mixture or the perception of life and death there's so much fear you're going to evoke and of course that makes crowd behavior quite simple you know to manage if you say enough fear cultivating phrases you get a lot of people afraid yeah the whole
1: life and death thing is a big one i feel like that's how a lot of people that have power over you or institutions that have power over
0: you kind of make everything about life or death. Yes. What do you think, Sushi, are some like uh, false gods of this culture?
1: Oh, so many. I I just think of the big ones like fame and materialism, these things that we've worshipped. I mean, you said it so beautifully. I'm just going to say it in my own words, but these things that we worship, that we think give us value without knowing our true value or coming through the place. And the thing that the thing is, there isn't anything wrong with those things in and of of themselves. I think it's just about how you utilize them and the value you place upon them, where you place them in your life. Because it's like we were talking about wealth You know, there's nothing wrong with having wealth in and of Mm. itself. Mm. But when you think that your value is that, or that that's what you are, when it starts to define you versus the other way around, where you define it, I think it becomes a problem. I think it becomes a, a distortion. You know, it's like clothing for me. I love clothing. It's sort of like my my laboratory, you know, in the morning I love putting things together and wearing things that express me, but the moment I think that by wearing something it's going to define me versus me define it. For me that personally I know that's when it it's not coming from a place of my true expression. I, instead, I'm probably feeling insecure, not whole in myself where I feel like I need to be defined by what I'm wearing. That makes sense.
0: It makes so much sense. I love, you're reminding me of, I know we often share together different inspirational quotes, especially those that uh, remind us of truth or reality um, and kind of spur you forward. And I was thinking of this quote that was attributed to Abdu'l-Bahá in a conversation. And he said, it is time to put away the important for the most important. And I love that because he was saying it just before World War I started in his conversations with people who would be profoundly impacted. And I think of that today, that quote often, Because although he said that to humanity, it's time to put away the important for the most important, he doesn't say what that looks like for you. Like, you have to start filtering, wait, is this really as important as I thought it was? Or is this about something else? I think that's something we do well to sift our energies through during the day, like, Is this really important? Do I have to rush to do this? Do I really have to take on this extra responsibility at this time? Do I have to say yes to this? Does this have to be done on Zoom? Or does this have to be done in person? What's important is what facilitates you on your path and your role in this world today. And really nothing else is more important than each relationship you're in is gonna change. You're gonna have to change. So you'll define it as you go along. You can't crystallize it. Sushi, you and I were talking about this earlier. There's so much change happening and even the way people address me, the way they reach out to me, it has changed radically. And I think that that means I have to respect that, listen to that, that ask myself, then what is the best way for me to respond that's authentic? So we could still move forward and not get lodged into a place of scarcity or you know fear. You know, a lot of times when people reach out to me professionally today, there's so much fear. Julie, I need to get in today. I need to, I need to see you today. To me, I always go, well, wait, don't you reach out to other people in life too? You have to be on their schedule. We all have to be on each other's schedule. Even if someone didn't have a schedule and they just had themselves or their life, it may not work today. Or they have a family, may not work for their family today. There has to be more than like being prompted and propelled by fear or any other motivation. Yeah, it's really big. But I I think think that's that's also...
1: That thing of like creating an interior space
0: you can really tap into. Totally. How do you handle when you realize something that's been working you rather than you participating with it? What do you usually do? Like what's your first step? I think unconsciously, I identify
1: all the things, all the beliefs that are in my way that are keeping me in that pattern. So Mm. there's obviously something that I believe either about myself. Usually it's about myself or about the world or about whatever that's keeping me in that place. So it could be anything. It's like, if this person is no longer in my life, who will I be? you know, mm. and then it, it's filling in those holes that I'd never had to fill in before. It's like, wait a second, but what are they actually, what role are they actually playing in my life? Why was I attracted to them in the first place if they make me mm. feel so bad? Or why am I engaging in this dynamic? Or uh, the big one for me is why am I continually triggered? Like, how is mm-hmm. it that I keep getting yes. triggered even though I know it's coming? Why am I still mad? And and sometimes it's not as easy as just being able to cut the person off. It's mm. you really have to figure it out so that you you can continue. And also, I've found that unless you get to the root with that person, that person will manifest itself in another person in your life anyway, because you haven't figured out what the thing is at the core of it. Mm. That is what I try to figure out so that I have enough of myself or enough information about what beliefs that I have that are keeping me in this place and then slowly dispelling those things. And then
0: once I have enough, I'm, Done. And then you can also recognize it faster when it's in another situation. You know, I was queued up in this very, very, very long line at the grocery store, and people were in a mood that day. You know, sometimes there's just a pattern, there's just a rhythm. And they were in a state. Everybody was like bumping people with their carts, trying to get in front of somebody else because the lines are so darn long. And so I just decided to hunker down. And you know how you sometimes have a line and then there's forks of other lines. So you have to stay in the one line and then whoever goes first, you go into that line. And so you uh, filter through. And so I was doing that. And there was a man who was just like, He was twitching, he was pacing himself. I could see he was was anxious, like the whole thing had him untethered. And so I was coming up towards the front where there'd be a fork and he had chosen a smaller line and it was in front of me. And he turned around and I smiled at him and he goes, don't even think about getting in this line. Don't even think about it. He was so loud, everyone stared at me. At first, it felt like an assault, but what was so interesting is that lasted a nanosecond and I just saw how pitiful a state he was in. And I was like, sir, it's all right with me if you choose any line you want. It's just a zoo out here today, please. And then I just smiled at all the other people who were staring at me like they were upset, they were worried, they were anxious. The minute I smiled at them to be like, It's all okay. We don't have to have a situation here because there is nothing happening here. You can see how quickly things can escalate if someone does not establish what is really going on and that we have no problem. But you have to get to a place where it's genuine. It can't be something you're making up. You can't be falsely smiling like, have a nice day, but I'm about to cut you off. No, that's not going to work. You have to really own it. And it just spread. The other people were just relaxing, stepping back. And I was like, glad it could be me today. And I know it'll be somebody else on another day. Yeah, that's
1: hard. It's seemingly easy, but it's so in the moment. It's so hard. It can be. But Swishy, I'm really interested because like the other night I was talking to um, two of my other friends and we were talking about how we get ourselves into these kinds of things. And I was thinking about how... Wait, what kinds of things? Decisions that we make based on lore. And I was thinking about how sometimes we choose friends that are similar to our moms because we're trying to carry out something that we were unable to carry out with our mom.
0: Oh, like you mean it's the evolution of where you left off?
1: Yes. So mm. it's like sometimes you you choose somebody that might have the same dysfunction, dysfunctional thing that your mom does, but you see another, like subconsciously you see a chance to play out the relationship again with the dysfunction, but then have a different outcome. Mm. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about examples like that, because then I know that there's also a relationship between like, uh, you know, our moms and how we relate to the creator because our mom is our first creator. So sometimes our relationship with the creator is clouded by our relationship, our understanding of our relationship with our mom, or how you talk about our relationships with our dads or with our father figures sort of kind of affect the relationship we have with manifestations of God. How are these paternal relationships so powerful (laughs) in that they really determine a lot of our rules of engagement, not just with our creator and our spiritual mm. practice or who we relate to in a spiritual practice, to our friendships, to everything. So is that is that kind of a good place to start, like identifying what our paternal relationships
0: are and how those sort of distort our reality? And my observation, if our mother is nurturing, we believe the creator is nurturing. If our mother is Uh, abusive, we think the creator is an abusive God, you know, a wrathful God. Um, A lot of that I do see reflected and with fathers, the same, but reflecting in the manifestation or mentor role or leadership or masculine, the masculine in any format, but particularly like law and resource. But just like you were talking about with your friends about, you know, you feel like you've picked friends who kind of evolve what you didn't receive from your mother. I would say it a little different, which is that we have endless opportunities to live it. And we've inherited families, at least one mother and one father biologically. And so we do have this privilege to work it through efficiently with them. They don't have to be perfect they just have to do their best for us. Because see, we interpret that as if our parents are doing their best for us, everything in us can accept their flaws and everything because we understand that they love us in a way that no one else ever will. They didn't just bring us here, they love us what we are in one way or another, maybe in every way, maybe in some ways, but nevertheless, there is no one who will ever keep their focus on you your whole life like they do. Now, if they did not do that, then we have the opportunity nature creates, endless opportunities to create relationships that carry on where you left off with them. I love that so much about nature because it's not over and you'll notice today when we do have an awful lot of dysfunction uh, due to the instabilities of life being exploited you'll notice so many people lost for many reasons a mother or a father you know whether they lost them in life or they lost them due to a divorce, or they lost them due to mental illness or addictions. There are many, many reasons, abuse, neglect. It's it's rife in the world today. Look how many people have a friend or friends or groups of friends. It doesn't matter if there's one or more, but they'll tell you, this is my friend. And they'll say it in a way where you know it's not just a friend, this is their family. So maybe it's multiple roles. Maybe it's not just a mother. Maybe it's not just a father. Maybe it's that you never had the feminine in your life, you know, mirror you to you. there for you. Maybe you had siblings, but they just weren't able to be siblings. It's even so common that I find it incredible. Recently, I've noticed one of the trends is that we segued from that kind of happening to people giving specific language to it. So they've already gotten over the fact that their family is not family to them. They don't love them. They don't wanna take care of them. They don't wanna have a relationship. They don't see them or they're gonna use them or abuse them or it's gonna be strained or artificial, whatever the dynamic is. They'll already say, I'm kinda looking for my tribe. And they'll say, I'm just looking for someone who could be my person. They really articulate it. So I find that fascinating because I think we're designed by nature to have community. And yes, we have to build community in our geographical context of community. Like we should all get involved. Nobody should not be involved with at least something, even if it's your own individual initiative. You know, I do this in my neighborhood. I check up on my neighbors when the X happens or I have a phone tree or something like that. Um, And then you could get really involved in neighborhood and economics and, you know, uh, at-risk youth and just so much, the homeless. But I do really treasure how it's becoming the norm. People are letting go a little bit of their uh, entitlement and angst. Uh, so that they don't carry out this as an adult. Yeah, my dad was so blah, blah, blah. My mom always blah, blah, blah. Like once you're an adult, we need to start living the affirmative. Sorry that we didn't get it, sorry. But why let it stop there? Because you are so right, Smishi. Then there's nothing stopping us from Uh, A lot of people are quite negative about the masculine today, men and women, girls and boys, really hard on the masculine. Well, we've identified some themes and strands and trends and patterns in our history, which are true. But here we are today. Why not make new relationships with the masculine? Where there's mutuality or themes of real friendship, you know, it's available. Or, you know, I think that so much of um, the gender fluidity is happening was just a cry out to escape from all the gender core lore. Talk about lore, Lord have mercy, we are so done with all the lore around the feminine and the masculine. If somebody wrote a little journal my ancestors believed x about the feminine my ancestors believed this about the masculine you would have volumes not a journal yeah
1: who wants to be confined to all that yes
0: yes but it's not the gender people really have issues with it's really all the lore about them we're just sick of it literally so I don't blame anybody for just saying, could we do it better if we didn't have either? But the truth is, we're still going to run into the same. <laughs> we're going to cause the same pain, the same abuse, because we're human. So then we'd have to say, I'm sick of this whole human thing. Could we just be spirit? That's really what we're aiming for. <sighs> Sushi, I love that. And what a perfect way to end can we just be spirits? Can we? <laughs> oh, Sushi, you had a heavyweight subject today. I love splashing around in it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Smushy. Thank you, Sushi.
0: And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining
1: us. You can find The Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time.